Hello there, this is Mark Bauerlein with another conversation. Before we get to it, a word about one of our sponsors. Located in the foothills of Wyoming's spectacular Wind River Range, Wyoming Catholic College, an accredited four-year Great Books Institution, is built on the ancient Western tradition of the liberal arts and the freedom of the American West. The college offers its students an immersion in the primary sources of the classical tradition, the grandeur of the mountain wilderness, and the spiritual heritage of the Catholic Church. Students experience the illumination of imagination and intellect through the great books and traditional disciplines, literature and philosophy, mathematics and theology, science and Latin, and an outdoor program second to none. The college celebrated an in-person graduation with its seniors last year and welcomed its largest freshman class ever this year. Learn more about the college's unique space in the world of American higher education at wyomingcatholic.edu. Matthew Meehan is with us today. He is Director of Academic Programs for Hillsdale College in Washington, D.C., and he's also Assistant Professor of Government government there. Uh, He joined us previously to discuss the children's book, Mr. Meehan's Mildly Amusing Mythical Animals, and he now has another one, The Handsome Little Signet. Welcome, Matthew. Thanks for having me, Mark. Uh, First, Matthew, a general question. What makes a good book for toddlers? Uh, I think it needs to be visually beautiful aging, uh, so that they can start to see that the words tell stories. Uh, and then it needs to have um, a kind of rhythm to it, uh, a beautiful rhythm of language. Uh, and then the story itself needs to be uh, something that they can take in that's sort of relevant to them and about their family and about discovery. Yeah. What are most toddler books on sale today? like when you when you look at the whole field what what trends do you see happening yeah i mean there's 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 the board books that are very simple and there's a lot of those that are well done that are uh you know just they don't tell much of a story but they sort of show an apple or a caterpillar and things like that um i think my i think my son liked what what it was the hungry little caterpillar my son liked that yeah he just he just passed away recently actually um 90 years old or something but um uh but but there's but there's a growing number of books that are sort of in this like little kids range a storybook that you can read that are uh kind of getting uglier um and they're getting much more ideological out of that i'm sure your listeners know about the sort of great awakening but that's definitely sort of taking uh the children's lit world by storm in many ways uh <laughs> Is it, it, it's really creeping that far down the, well, how far down the age ladder is it, is, is the woke, maybe, maybe LGBT stuff or racism stuff, how far down the age ladder is that going right now? Oh, uh, all the way down to like, uh, bath books for, for true toddlers. Um, you know, the, the handsome little signet is kind of for ages, you know, three through eight. Uh, and that is a totally saturated market by woke stuff, um, there's you can uh, there's books that are now introduced in schools. In fact, there's fights about them uh, that that are you know celebrations of gay marriage, worm loves worm, and things like that. Uh, there's there's ones on uh, how to have a, a racially motivated protest for for tots. Hmm. Um, and yeah, so there's there's definitely uh, and some of them those are the most obvious ones that you can kind of see, but those come late. For years, they've been creeping in in a much more sort of mythological or metaphorical way um, that 
and they're quite subtle sometimes, but uh, they're definitely at work in these in these age groups. And 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 then they wonder why parents show up to school board meetings angry. Yeah, I mean, I, I even over the last couple of years, uh, talk, shopping this book around and then deploying it with its launch this year, people have come to me and said, "Oh, you, I'm going to use this book." Uh, to try to, you know, fight the school board here or there. I know in Florida there's a big push to use handsome little signets uh, for schools to replace a book um, that basically depicts in cartoonish but not ungraphic ways uh, same-sex sexual encounters, uh, you know, various kinds of uh, self-abuse, just like, totally graphic beyond your belief. Like I was even, and I feel like I'm jaded. I was just flabbergasted that these were books in schools, uh, in the public school system. So, uh, you know, I, in part, I'm really happy because I'm I'm basically handing this book out. Like, please, this is a kind of antidote things. Yeah. Uh, The messages of the book and its beauty, uh, are both kind of designed to be a medicinal salve against these wounds. Yeah. The kids are suffering now. Well, let, let's 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 move to a better topic, right? Uh, a general <laughs> one, general one, Matt Matthew. Why do toddlers like to hear a good storybook over and over and over again? They they love the repetition of that book. I saw this uh, with, with my son. I'm sure you've seen it multiple times with all your children. Yeah, and it's funny how I keep a lot of the reviews and fan email. It's all like my, you know. My four-year-old had me read this eight times last night. He was like, Great, <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, well, what do you what do you think? You know, what is the psychology, the child psychology there? Do you think? I mean, I think it's I, I, uh, Megan Cox Gurdon um, has uh, written very beautifully about this, um, but I, I think it's part of it is that they love the bond with the parent, right, or the the loved one, right? They're they're, yeah. they're reading and they're with them. That's part of it, but two. If it's written well and it has that kind of, you think of Goodnight Moon or I'll be, you know, sell my book, The Handsome Little Signet, like this little baby swan, but it's a cute story with lots of beautiful engrossing images, but there's almost like these repetitions that almost have a kind of enchantment to them. They run like a song, you know, over and over again. And uh, I think they love those sorts of pleasant rhythms almost like you know getting rocked to sleep by an actual nursery rhyme that you're singing right so insofar as the, the, the book my book the handsome little signets written in what's called lightly metered prose yeah it, yeah it reads like a storybook but it actually has hidden in it a lot of poetic rhythms and rhymes yeah, so yeah. It, i think it has this almost chant to it that that can kind of rock you into a feeling of security and wonder uh who, who is the illustrator for your book and how how closely did you work together in in creating the book? Did you just hand him the script? Absolutely and then he not. Well, tell us no, about it. Yeah, John Folly is a dear friend of mine. We used to teach together at the Heights School, and we kind of talked a lot about how the arts, it's sort of Judeo Christian, you know, Western, Greco Roman like culture needs revivification, and children's lit is a place to do that. That's important. That's why me and mammals got done. And now we're doing it together again with the handsome little sig, and we're going to have a third book coming out in a little while, uh, another year. But um, uh, he's a classically trained realist impressionist, Boston School, uh, all the way. He can trace his master plan through the Ecole de Bards in Paris back to Rayfield's workshop. 
hmm. in Florence. So he's the real deal. He's a painter, but he does these uh, watercolors for this latest book that are just very bright and very stunning um, and beautiful. But, um, you know, he and I, when we heard what people do, which is like, I write the book and then I hand it to the publisher and they go find an illustrator. We were appalled. We're like, no, the two have to be hand in glove. Like we have to have a great bond of friendship and like build these words and images to fit and together beautifully. So we workshop and make files and develop image ideas. And, you know, like basically I help design the, the image. And then he and I like through kind of a dialogue of sketching and going back and forth, craft all of these images so just like in Mian's mammals part of the story is actually told not just through the words but also through uh the images themselves um and they're highly symbolic i like to use the the symbolism of the visual arts of our tradition so there's all kinds of very significant imagery uh inside what first look first blush might feel or look like rather look not feel it feels deep but looks like it's just a simple children's book yeah well, to to the book, uh, one given the the visuals that you have here, it's got to be a material book. It, it can't be on screen, right? I mean, we'd lo- <laughs> we'd lose ninety percent uh, the materiality, and and I think kids uh, surveys actually show that kids prefer the the real book with the parent to the the screen. Even though we, we know how kids are, are are drawn to screens, the the surveys are on. No, pages, turning pages, hearing them, you know, the, 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 the touch of them. But look, the title of the book, uh, The Handsome Little Signet. Is that a play on the ugly little duckling? Yeah, exactly. It's the okay. ugly duckling kind of in reverse. Um, the signet is a baby swan, uh, C-Y-G-N-E-T. Uh, some people think like it's a signet ring. Like, no, it's a baby no. swan. Yeah. Uh, and the story you know, Hans Christian Andersen is, did the most beautiful version, right, uh, of the ugly duckling. Um, and, but that's when a little child doesn't know what he is, right? The little, the little duck, the little signet doesn't know he's a little signet and thinks he's a little duckling yeah. and has to discover who he is. And that's a very, you know, that's a great kind of story, the sort of coming of age and learning what you are. But I wanted to dramatize something that I think is a little more prescient for the moment, which is knowing what you are, but then being overwhelmed by the sort of crazy and chaotic imagery of the world to forget what you are and then have to come back and return and rediscover Hmm. what you are. So rather than the ugly duckling and then surprised by what you are, you start from something you know and then you forget it and have to then struggle to re-remember. Interesting. Uh, And that's the story in the the book. Your your epigraph... Uh, defines signet, but you, Matthew, you go back to Noah Webster's 1828 dictionary. Well, why'd you go back all the way back to him? 1828. Yeah, I wanted, I wanted to go back to sort of the, the, uh, the great first American dictionary. In one sense, it was a nod to the previous work, which the, the back third of me and mammals is this huge glossary that uses Johnson's dictionary Webster's yeah. Dictionary, and then my own glosses. So there was kind of a nod to the previous book. Uh, but also just, you know, like people, some people don't know what a signet is. And I wanted to sort of, you know, yeah. lay out a definition. And I also wanted to start with a definition, right? Like this is, you can know what something is, right? Like the, the hope of definition is sort of the hope of identity, right? Knowing what you are, you're like you can actually sort of nail it down. Uh, you know, and it was a chance to also sort of introduce the three main players of the book, which is the parents, 
of a mother and father, swan, and then the baby signet, and then community of fish that live under the pond water. Yeah. So. Look, oh, the 1828 dictionary, the, the, it's, it's a monument, of course. As you say, the first major oh, yeah. dictionary. And in the introduction, I remember reading the introduction to, uh, to that where uh, Webster does some crazy speculation. He, he actually thinks he identifies the language Adam and Eve spoke in, in the Garden of Eden. He, he, <laughs> he thinks it was a close version of Chaldean. Chaldee, I believe. But but anyway, anyway, I was glad to see that. Glad to see that. So, all right, the first page, um, that illustration, which runs across two pages, it looks like it's the southeast corner of Fifth Avenue, uh, the southeast corner of Central Park, uh, looking down on on Fifth Avenue. There's, is that the Plaza Hotel across the street? Yeah. Well, why? Right. why and, and then we see later on that this we're clearly in Central Park. Why, why that? Just because you like that spot? I mean, I do. Uh, I, I I find New York to be a breathtaking and amazing place. But but uh, I wanted to choose New York. Uh, one, I wanted to do that opening shot is kind of a nod to make way for ducklings for Boston, uh, right? But instead of uh, that, instead of that, but the flyover, it's, it's not mallards. It's it's swans. But I wanted New York for a, a variety of reasons. You know, one of them. They needed to pick me up. They had a rough year with De Blasio and COVID and shutdowns and things, the riots and all that stuff. Yeah. Uh, so I kind of wanted to do that because I was when I was writing it and setting it was right when that was all really at its peak of badness. Uh, but the other thing I want to do is it fits this theme of how do you actually come of age and come to know what you are and who you're meant to be, sort of your identity. Uh, which is all the rage, right? And and we've forgotten all of the old and good ways to come to know that. And this book tries to bring some of that together. And a park, especially Central Park, is a perfect place to tell that kind of story because the image of a park is uh, one in which you take natural things and then you artfully arrange them, right, and adapt your sort of construction to heighten their beauty rather than to reconstruct them and just make something artificial, right? So, and in the middle of all this artificiality, which is not always a bad word, right? All these beautiful buildings and all this, you know, art museums, Plaza Hotel, all these skyscrapers, all this art of man here in the middle of it, the most pleasing jewel of of Manhattan is this gorgeous combination of nature artfully arranged by man's ingenious ways, right? So insofar as a, the handsome little signet needs to sort of grow up and grow into what he is, an adult swan, and figure out what he is so he can figure out who he is. Uh, the, a park is like a perfect place because that's what you do when you grow up. You figure out what you are. You're a male or a female, right? And then you artfully try to heighten that nature to, to make it excellent, right? One of my old mentors in teaching uh, Eddie Smith, uh, is an African American fellow who he and I used to teach uh, inner city uh, youth uh, on the weekends together in D.C. for a number of years, and and I would hear him beller out uh, from his class. He had a booming voice, looked for all the world like Frederick Douglass. He'd say, "Being male is a question of biology, but being a man, it was two boys. Being a man, <laughs> that's a work of art." You know, like he would he would always make this case, and it's so true. So that's why we wanted Central Park, or one of the reasons. Let's pause for a moment to ask if you are looking for a Catholic university where the greatest works of Western and Catholic tradition are the foundation for learning, all in an environment that is faithful to the magisterium. 
That's the University of Dallas in Irving, Texas. Recommended by the Cardinal Newman Society, the university offers an exceptional liberal arts education with undergraduate and graduate programs in arts and sciences, business, and ministry, as well as a campus in Rome, Italy, all of them preserving the wisdom of the past while preparing students for world-changing futures. Academically excellent, always faithful. Apply today at udallas.edu. Well, one, one thing I noticed, several of the illustrations have a pond and greenery in the foreground and then this skyscraper background, which nicely reflects that distinction you were talking about a moment ago with the, the natural versus the artificial and man-made. That was deliberate on the, on the illustrator's part? Yeah, we arranged each of these shots to do some work like that sometimes doing more than one thing, but that was always sort of in the background was we wanted that, that kind of dichotomy of art and nature working together for something beautiful. Yeah. And so we, we begin with this nice uh, little family. You note that Swan's mate for life and it is, it's very coherent. They know, they all know what they are and all is well for a few pages until Father Swan tells the signet to stay close to his parent. Uh, his parents and the signet replies, of course, where else will I go? <laughs> Which is one of those things where, uh, okay, there's a little bit of, uh, you know, a little overconfidence there, right? Yeah, right. The, sort of the, young, the, young, the young lad. And then uh, ready, ready, right for a fall. But but it's very interesting. You follow there with the father's cryptic statement. But little signet, you must know a swan's heart can wander where a swan must never go. There we've got conflict, right? Tension uh, setting in. That yeah. that's that's interesting. That that's the first sort of little complication in in the story. And I imagine that that could be. One of those moments when the parent is reading that to the child, when there might be a little pause, right? Here's where the, the storytelling technique and the, and the parental bond with the child can almost take over for a second, yeah? Yeah, I really, I, I wanted that, and I wanted the two words before the line you read are equally important, I think. Go ahead. Father sees the child make a mistake in thinking, and he doesn't criticize first. He says, good, good. Right? Like, like always affirming, always loving, very calm. Mm -hmm. But, little Signet, you must know a swan's heart can wander where a swan can never go. Right? And I have him, the, the father swan, lean down with his big, long neck right towards his little Signet son uh, with the mother looking on, sort of like listening to every word, make sure dad's got it right. But, uh, um, yeah, I want those. I want it to be a family bonding um, a family bonding type of uh, book. Like I wanted to be tender in that way. Yeah, and that's how it was reviewed in the Wall Street Journal was was with a bunch of books that were pushed on family tenderness, yeah, family unity. I I imagine too that this introduction of a prohibition, yeah, you shouldn't go there, would be again psychologically important at that toddler age. This is where toddlers have to start learning about where the boundaries are, right? What, where, where, where you must contain your, your will. Were you thinking about that? Yeah, in fact, yes. Uh, it's, and it, 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 exactly. That's sort of like the safety question of like wandering off of physical danger. 
but obviously the the, the father is pushing uh, almost on. He sort of yeah yeah yeah. But uh, there's the moral danger too, which is even higher. And I'm more concerned with your soul than with your body. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the but when the, when the 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 signet first sort of pushes back on dad and he says, "Stay close to us." He says, I will, I will, I love you so, sort of the question of the will, the wandering will, right? Sort of, we can make bad choices and little kids. I always joke, my, my little three and four-year-olds are sort of the, the terrible threes and fours, frankly. The twos were always more charming with my children. Hmm. But uh, I always say, it's like, up oh, the will is coming up online, almost like some sort of aircraft carrier getting its weapons systems <laughs> online. You know, sort of like, like, oh, no, here we go, <laughs> Here comes the strong will. No, I'm going to do what I want. You know, well, like, well, okay, Maddie, I, I, I think this is a bad message. I mean, a child should be able to roam wherever his heart leads him. And who are we to say, no, don't go there? I mean, the, the, the child's heart is pure. The child is innocent. I'm, why do you want to imprison them, Matthew? <laughs> so this is, this is, I mean, honestly, like, I know this isn't directly about the book, but this is a first thing, podcast. So the, 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 the sort of Rousseauian roots in a certain sense of this whole identity crisis issue that's going on the woke trans issue of like trying to listen to the weird inner whisperings of your passing fancied heart, <laughs> right? This, this sort of like listening and desperately trying to discern the, the inner riddle of the Sphinx or the Oracle of your passions, right? Like that's kind of what this is militating against in a certain sense. Like, no, you, you really need to use, your reason and your heart together, right? You can't just listen to your heart. But obviously the next couple pages, he gets to go all over Central Park and yeah. do some crazy stuff and some risk. So like, it doesn't mean there's no freedom. It means that there are right paths towards true freedom yeah. uh, that have to be kind of recognized. So you guys get to move about the, the, the park quite a bit. The, the illustrations do actually p- play a large role in moving the story forward they, they have a lot first of all they have a lot in them to be pointed out by parents i mean i would read to my son we'd have a big picture book and i i would say wait a minute i, I see something somewhere on that page and i might mention some little things that, where, where can you find it again i lost it where is that and he would love to to look for it and find it before i found it uh there's a lot of potential for that in the illustrations yeah. And in fact, the very back of the book actually has easy finds, harder finds, and still right. harder finds that teach kids all about different landmarks and monuments of Central Park and the surrounding skyline. So, yeah. and, 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 and what, of wildlife. The, well, for me, that the power of the illustrations come out when the little signet comes across that freshly painted bridge. Why don't you describe that page? For us, what 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 is what is it, what does this little signet see there? So he's he goes all over with his parents, and then one day he actually does finally physically separate from them, uh, and then he runs into the Gapstow Bridge, which is the you know that's on the, the South Pond there near the Plaza Hotel, uh, and it's it's at the change of the seasons and says until one day when he parts away from them. The signet stared at a stone wall beneath the bridge at the start of the fall. And it's this huge spray paint, right? This tagging, like a massive chaos of tons of different colors, but all just letters mostly. And there's a couple other sort of forbidding images, even a shout out to the evil, which was the bad guy from the previous book, hmm. who's painted hanging on some letters. And there's a sort of creepy clown world clown and, and a, a skull, but mostly just chaotic letters. 
with only one word spelled, buzz, you know, sort of Hamlet, right? When he's like, what do words matter? Buzz, buzz, buzz. It's all just words. Uh, and he sees all these pretty colors and words, and he says, so many colors and I'm only gray. The paint is still wet. I just can't keep away, right? And in his eyes, we actually depict the image of all these crazy colors swirling. And then he rolls in it, uh, and he tries to paint himself up in all these wet paint colors thinking he'd get all these crazy colors on him, but it basically just sort of mops up into a gross kind of greenish brown clump uh, and his feathers are all stuck. Um, and, you know, that's a kind of image of the outside world sort of crashing in, in a kind of, kind of, you know, vandalous way uh, uh, into the central park. You know, no one likes it when the Gapstow bridge gets tagged, right? Like they, they, paint that stuff over or sandblast it immediately in Central Park if it ever gets away with it. But uh, but it's kind of like, you know, it's a crime, but it's also a kind of stand-in for the sort of the promise of, oh, you can be anything and do anything, just, you know, take some paint and change your appearance, and that will somehow change your nature. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, but, the, but it's also just the idea of little kids now are so tempted to be sort of overwhelmed by, you know, a thousand YouTube videos or 50 million Instagram pictures or, uh, you know, a hundred uh, Netflix, you know, um, videos that you binge watch, right? There's just an overwhelming amount of inputs from, from the culture, much of it is very chaotic. But I just kind of wanted that to be a kind of danger for the child and sort of for the family, metaphorically. Uh, and that's what happens to the Cygnus. Yeah. Well, uh, by having this experience now and, and learning from it, that means the signet isn't going to come home five years from now with uh, tattoos, nose rings, and purple hair, right? I mean, in a certain sense, that's, I mean, I, that's the purpose of uh, a story, right, is to give civilizational experience without having to suffer through it yourself. Right? <laughs> that's that's, it's literally a civilizational tech, right? right? And it's a life hack. There's a, there's a thing called uh, mirror neurons that actually work, they, they are not experiential neurons that sort of have emotional reactions from things you go through, but they serve the same purpose, but they're only triggered through watching someone else or some other artistic depiction of something go right or wrong. Uh, and so they're actually, it's basically sort of, we are meant to learn by observation. Uh, and so, you know, artful depictions of mistakes uh, and how to recover from them is, uh, part of the book's magic. So the, the the mother brings the fish along who help fix all of this, uh, and the fish are super colorful themselves. Any significance in in that? Yeah, the, the, the bridge and the chaos of color there, we wanted to reorder that in accord with something more natural. Uh, and in fact, uh, there's a missing color from the Roy G. Biv. Uh, there's only six colors depicted on the bridge. Uh, and in the water, we actually, in a certain sense, purify the chaos of color and re-naturalize the color. Instead of making it artificial, we make it more natural by including all seven of the natural visible colors in the fish and the water. And in fact, the dominant color of the water in the background is the missing indigo. Uh, which is missing on the wall. So we wanted, there's nothing wrong with color, but it has to be ordered according to nature, right? 
Uh, and if it's not, it becomes ugly and garish and, and in a certain sense militates against happiness. So we wanted to sort of reintroduce lots of color, but in a much more natural way. Yeah. And you, you have the little signet um, make an acknowledgement. He says, uh, I've no wish to wander when I finally must go. Uh, what does finally must go mean right there? Well, yeah, at the very end, uh, right, right. right, this is, he, he repeats the I will, I will, I love you so. Uh, this is where he finally realizes, oh, the heart, you know, when he says stay close to your mother, stay close to me, he doesn't mean physically. The father means morally, right? Like, of course, you're going to grow up and go off and fly away and do your own thing and, you know, and, 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 he before he said, why would I wander? Where would I go? And now he said, I've no wish to wander when I finally must go. Meaning I get what you meant now. You didn't mean bodily wandering. You meant moral or emotional, like to, to drift in the heart away from the good, right? To, to, to stray from the right path. So the father was trying to give a moral lesson and the kid only received it physically. And once he sees this and says, no, I'll, I won't wander when I leave you, right? That's when the father does it for the first time, doesn't call him the handsome little signet. He says, and the father sworn answered with gentle love, oh, my handsome signet, you, we know that you must leave us when you have grown. Yet even then, we three swans will not be alone. And instead of calling him a handsome little signet, he says, my handsome signet, meaning now you're growing up. Now you see the sort of the real lessons here. Of course, you have to have bodily freedom and to grow up but uh, you need to stay on the right path. And then the last shot is them flying one direction, the mother and father, and the signet heading off in his own direction. All right. Uh, let me, as, as we wrap up, uh, Matthew, apart from your own books, uh, can you recommend to parents and grandparents three nice books for toddlers? I mean, I would recommend some great classics. Uh, and not to always be closing on a sale for my own book, but uh, the reviews have come in and a lot of people have said uh, the story of Ting, uh, the yellow duck on um, uh, the Yellow River, the Yangtze River, mm -hmm. um, is one. And then Blueberries for Sal is another one that's, that my book's been compared to that's very sort of visually beautiful and has that kind of pleasant, peaceful rhythm to it. Um, and I love the Velveteen Rabbit. Um, with original illustrations. Yeah. Um, yeah. So those are all, those are great, great books that I come back to again and again. I, I'm going to make an assumption, Matthew, that you believe that the experience of reading for three, four, five, six-year-olds is so enjoyable and, and so profound with the parent that uh, one has reason not to be as pessimistic as I am about the future of reading in, in America. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I do. I think that, uh, I think that there is reason to be pessimistic and there's reason to be hopeful. And I sort of try to keep the double vision going at all times, but I do think that, that there is such a delight right in, in that relationship with the physical book. It's one of the greatest technologies um, that we've ever had. And it's, it's, uh, it's why like scripture, right? 
presents itself as book and scroll, right? These, these are, this is a meta textual thing. It's not going to go away. We're never going to get to a point where we don't want these things. Uh, I know that there was lots of talk of that in the late 20th century that we get past books, but I'm very robust that they're going to be around for a long time. And, you know, my children love it. You think of all the what's happening now in classical education. So many private schools are flipping. Charter schools are flipping. Uh, lots of people are, are sort of getting back to basics. And one of them is this attention to the tactile, actual, physical nature of education, right? If, and we've, if we've learned one thing from Zoom over the last couple of years is there is no better interface than the human face, right? So the in-person, the physical, and the book being a serious part of that kind of education, it's never going away. Uh, it's you know, sort of the end of all civilization, which I don't <laughs> look to see that anytime soon. <laughs> uh, the book is The Handsome Little Signet. Thank you, Matthew Meehan. Thanks very much. And thank you for listening to our conversation, which has been supported by Wyoming Catholic College, which combines great books, the Catholic tradition, and the great outdoors of the American West into an extraordinary education. Go to wyomingcatholic.edu or contact the admissions office at 877-332-2930.